Welcome to the Wisdom of Coaches podcast. This is Adam Rabo, as always, joined today by Coach Falting and Coach Persant. We've got a great show lined up for you covering a variety of topics. Uh, as always, we have our Q&A of the day, and then we're going to dive off into some running news, uh, including a very fast 5K by a uh, lady, um, a couple of mm, infractions by some of the uh, world's best sprinters, and then we're going to talk about the first pro track event that will be hitting North America this summer um, after all of the, the COVID um, pandemic. So without further ado, let's get going with the Q&A of the day. So um, I think I chose last week, but uh, I guess everybody else was kind of at a loss. So they, they asked me uh, if I had anything for this week, and I did. Uh, and this is something I've thought of a lot. So we do it a little differently this week. I'm going to introduce the question, and then I'm going to talk. Um, I'm going to try not to go off on too many tangents because I was thinking about this on my run, and my brain was going in a hundred different directions, and I was like, "That's going to just be utter nonsense if I keep doing that on the podcast." So I'm going to try to have some tabs pulled up here to to read through some stuff about it, though, um, and then I'm going to offer some suggestions and let my um, co-podcasters give their two cents and, and, you know, talk about what they think. So our question of the day is, should high school and or college runners, track athletes, distance runners, whatever, um, be allowed to win money from events? Okay, so currently if you're a high school or a college runner, you are considered an amateur athlete. You are not allowed to accept money or gifts or anything from winning a race or an age group award or anything of that nature, okay? Um, you have college athletes who go to the Olympics. Uh, they could win a medal. It's happened frequently. Um, and they're not allowed to accept any of the sponsorships or anything. Like, they have, to, they have to leave college and go pro. And so I'm asking, should we allow this to happen? And so I have a couple of firsthand stories on this, which I think uh, kind of set up that's really funny. Um, one of my um, – high school running teammates and uh, uh, ruined with me a little bit while he's in med school, uh, Alan, who ran at LSU. While he was in high school, um, he ran several, you know, local road races and, and won um, a great many of them because he was a, a very fast uh, runner. But one in particular they had in Shreveport, uh, they have every year, it's a, a five-mile race, point to point, it's called Riverside Five. And um, he won this, I believe, his senior year in high school, and it's a $250 cash prize. Uh, if you win it, okay. He also came back and won it in med school um, several years down the road as well. But um, he, you know, was going up, and and most race directors, I don't feel, are very knowledgeable about the fact that like they they aren't supposed to give high school athletes um, or college athletes money, so they're just going to hand whoever the check and you know let the chips fall where they may. And so Alan was, you know, kind of walking up, and the guy who got second was a college runner at a local uh, college centenary. And he told Alan, hey, man, you can't accept that money. Um, they'll ruin your amateur status. You're not allowed to take it. And so Alan was like, oh. And so he turned it down. And then I think come to find out at some point in time, a little bit later, the, the second place guy went to the director and was like, well, since the high schooler couldn't have it, I think I should get the prize money. And I think he wound up getting it, despite the fact that he was a college runner. And he was also not allowed to accept the money. Oh, so I think Alan got hoodwinked a little bit there. Um, and then the other one was, uh, this one I was at, it was a 10 K in Alexandria. Um, there's a local running store there. Um, and they, they hosted this 10 K, the red river, uh, 10 K, I believe. Was it run and, wild? Um, 
It was run wild, yes. Yeah. And so, um, you know, they had uh, prizes for first, second, and third overall, and I believe they were cash prizes. And so you typically, like Kevin Castile would always come out and run a very fast 10K and win it. Um, but one of the years I was there, um, uh, I believe middle school girl, probably from Menard, because uh, they're always from Menard, um, got third overall for this 10K. And so she was, you know, coming up, and this is an instance where the uh, the race directors did have a bit of knowledge. Uh, they were the owners of the store, I believe, and they were like, well, she's a, a middle schooler. She's an amateur athlete. So technically, she's not allowed to receive a cash prize. So we're going to give her a gift card to run wild instead, which is also not allowed. It's technically illegal. So, uh, you know, seeing these two instances, you know, it, it kind of made me think. And, and distance running, I think you have a little bit more of an opportunity to make money than you do, uh, say, being a track athlete just with road races. I mean, Shreveport, where, um, you know, Coach Falting uh, lives, where me and Prasant used to live, I would say at any given weekend, there's probably two races on a Saturday, 5K, 10K, something of that nature, outside of maybe like the warmer summer months. But September to May, I guarantee you, you can almost find a, a 5K, 10K every single weekend. And for the vast majority of those, a high school or college runner could probably pretty handily go in. And if not, get in the top three, win the race outright. Um, I, I won a race one time in like 20 minutes, which was almost embarrassing to not break 20 and win a 5K. Um, but nonetheless, so, you know, you have instances where these athletes could be collecting, you know, hundred bucks or something like that, um, from these races. And so my thought are, should they be allowed to get this? Because if we look at, you know, distance running, your, your earning potential compared to other sports isn't really that great in the grand scheme of things. So I, I had pulled up this, which I thought was very interesting, um, that was kind of talking about how much money Olympians make, okay? And so, uh, and this is from a sports management degree hub. Uh, it does have some sources cited. It said income depends on events. Sprints and marathon competitions pay the most, which uh, I would not have figured sprint competitions would have paid the most, but it also kind of makes sense because if, if you ask someone to name a track and field athlete, you're typically going to get, you know, Usain Bolt or Michael Johnson or a few years before that, Carl Lewis. Kind of sprinters are typically the ones that stand out to us. Um, about 20% of the top 10 American track and field athletes, that would be per event, make over 50K annually. So out of the top 10, you know, 1,500 meter runners, long jumpers, you know, so on and so forth, two of them are going to be making more than $50,000 a year. Um, Less than 15K annually is what about 50% of track and field athletes who rank in the top 10 in the U.S. make. This is from all sources, sponsorships, grants, prize money, etc. Anyone below the top 10 rankings in the USA likely has little to no income or funding from their sporting activities. So these individuals aren't making very much money from this. So, you know, should we allow them to make money when they're, you know, an 18 year old and they can go out and win a hundred dollars of the 5k or if they're, you know, a 20 year old in college and they can go and win 250 bucks uh, at a road race or something of that nature. Um, and then it kind of brings us to, you know, the Olympics. I mean, we routinely, especially when you look at sprinters and throwers and jumpers, a lot of times you'll have a, Olympic athletes that are also college students. I know Alan uh, at LSU had a, um, one of his teammates was, I believe, from Trinidad and Tobago and got third um, in the 
I want to say the Beijing Olympics, maybe it had been 2008. Yeah, I want to say that's, uh, that's the case. Um, and so, you know, I, I looked this up because I thought it was true and I did find it that, um, so if you, this was back in the Winter Olympics, uh, 2018, and they said this was actually more than the 2016 Olympics, um, they earn $37,500, this is Americans, for each gold medal they win, $22,500 for each silver medal, and 15000 for each bronze medal. Okay, so that's a lot of the money, not quite as much as if you uh, were in Singapore, where if you win a gold, they pay you a million dollars. Um, so maybe you should get dual citizenship with Singapore and go compete for them. But, you know, if you're a college athlete, a sprinter, a jumper, a thrower, or even a distance runner, and you got, you know, a silver medal, they're not going to allow you to collect that money because that eliminates you being your athlete. And that's not like, I mean, $20,000 for, you know, any athlete, uh, especially runners in particular, that's, that's, you know, that could be something you live on for a year of training at this point. Um, and when you look at sprinters, jumpers, throwers, their kind of career span is so much less than say a distance runner. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, a distance runner really isn't even most of the time pun fully intended and hitting their stride until they're kind of mid twenties, late twenties, and then even into their early thirties. And then with the marathon, uh, we're now seeing, you know, kind of late thirties and forties, you can still get away with it. Whereas if you're a sprinter, you know, if you make two Olympics, you're probably not coming back for a third one. So if you're in college and you miss out on earning $37,000 because um, you weren't allowed to accept it when you won, you know, a medal in the Olympics, then that's money that you're never going to get back that, you know, you, you then have to hope that you can make the next Olympics and earn. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. I had some ideas of, um, you know, I kind of do like the gift card idea for high school runners for a running store, um, you know, cash. I, I can see that being problematic because, you know, you might have an athlete um, who decides, well, I'm not going to run for this high school. I can go make a hundred bucks every single weekend winning these races. Whereas if they're just getting gift cards then you know, or store credit, then they can only buy like running shoes, running shorts, stuff like that. So it might make them a little bit more. I thought, you know, something that would be really interested in college athletes, um, you know, the NCA is now uh, pushing, I had this article pulled up on NPR, um, the NCA's top governing body said it supports a rule change allowing student athletes to profit from their name, image, and likeness, so long as the college university they attend does not pay them directly. Now, that's going to benefit a very small portion of maybe, you know, football, basketball, potentially baseball players. Not so much your, you know, probably your track athletes in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, should a, a sprinter be allowed to go to a Diamond League meet and if they win, collect money? I mean, Mondo Duplantis as a, you know, high schooler was going to Diamond League meets and, and placing in the top three. Should he be allowed to keep that money? And if you're not okay with them keeping that money, what about having some kind of situation where they're allowed to put that money into a savings account that the university of, you know, that they're attending holds on to? And then they're awarded that money whenever they decide to leave amateur status and become pro. And you could even set up something where, hey, we're going to take the interest off the savings account and open up a scholarship, you know, in your name that, you know, maybe it's only 500 bucks or whatever. But it's a one time scholarship that can go towards sprinters or pole vaulters or, or something of that nature. So um, um, I think I'm, I'm beginning to ramble at this point, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you guys and, and get your thoughts on this and kind of see what what y'all think about it. I, I think you're gonna get the record for the longest podcast intro 
in American <laughs> history. <laughs> that, was, that was about one-fifth of what I wanted to say. <laughs> but in defense, I, you're not saying anything that doesn't need to be said. I mean, uh, we, as a group uh, at Parkway High School, we run something called the Firecracker 5K every summer because we're, we're a year-round training program. And uh, when, you, when you get out of, you know, the state track meet on, you know, May 5th, uh, and you don't race again until sometime in September. Uh, we don't do a lot of time trials or anything, so we like to have that firecracker 5K race on July 4th just to give the kids something to look forward to. And we do produce a highly competitive group of athletes here uh, where we have kids uh, placed very high in that, okay? And uh, at that meet, they're giving out, like, glass mugs and stuff, so that's not too big a deal. Uh, but in the past, we have put some kids in, into races that they've won uh, where they couldn't accept the gift card. Uh, we even had one group one time that tried to create a thing where they were going to give our winner a scholarship. Uh, but if you look at the rules, you can't get a scholarship that's, that's merit-based on sports, which I think is, is funny because you can get a scholarship that's merit-based on academics. So God forbid that somebody who is, is blessed with intelligence or, uh, you know, a, a dedicated house where they're pushing education, like they get to earn money from that skill. But, this, but the house next door where the kid is blessed to be a talented runner and maybe the parents are pushing them to get some athletic success uh, doesn't get to capitalize on that. Uh, so, I mean, I do think there's a place for that. I think there are reasonable ways to look at this so that people don't, manipulate the system, like you said, like quit running for their high school team, uh, you know, so they can go make money. I, I think there are ways that, that we could put some guidelines in place for high school athletes especially. But I do think a $100 gift card in a high school kid's mind could be the same as a $100 bill. So if, if you just had that, you could see kids just bailing out on, on road races, or bailing on their team to go run road races to make some money. Uh, right. You know. So go ahead, Prasant. So one thing that I find interesting is that currently a high school athlete, if they're trying to get into a D2 school, they can win as much money as they want. I think according to the NCAA that they can get like thousands of dollars of prize money and be fine. And if they're trying to get into D1 schools, they can win prize money as long as it's only up to the amount it costs to get into the race. <laughs> Awesome. I, I just won this race. <laughs> this 5 day won 35 bucks. Right. <laughs> and but, this stupid t-shirt. <laughs> but if you're a tennis player, a high school tennis player in D1, oh, no, if you're a high school tennis player who's trying to get into a D1 school, you can make up to $10,000 a year in prize money. Right. I mean, it's... So it's, why is it like some people can, some people can't. People going to D1 schools have a limit of only as much as the race costs. But if you're trying to go to a D2 school... There really isn't a limit to my knowledge. Well, right. I mean, we talked about, you know, in the previous podcast, NAI schools. I mean, there's people who have been playing for national teams, you know, for, you know, they've gone to, you know, the equivalent of like, you know, World Cup, you know, I mean, national events for their country and then come over to the United States at 22 or 23 and, and pop into an NAI school and they're able Same to with play. Juco. I mean, with Juco, yeah, whatever. I mean, no age limit, no nothing. 
Yeah. So, and, and it's funny you brought up that scholarship thing, Fulton, because that was actually going to be one of my ideas was what if we could do it where it's, you know, hey, this just turns into scholarship money and, and you're allowed to, you know, hold on to this because then it provides kind of an incentive for the kid to keep running because, you know, at that point, if, if they don't use it, you know, maybe it's a use it, lose it type thing so that that motivates them to stay on their team. And the Firecracker 5K is a great example. That was one of the things I was actually going to bring up because in years past, you know, a few years ago, they, they started getting to where they wanted to get some faster times. So they put up a $500 cash prize. And I think as soon as they put up the $500 cash prize, you kind of lost this. But before that, it was generally won by college kids. Uh, I remember a few years back, uh, my one of my another high school teammate of mine and, and roommate, uh, David, got second. And his teammate, um, I believe it may have been Josh, got first. Um, I know Alan came back. Uh, I think Alan won it as a high schooler and then came back and won it in med school like the year before they brought in the $500 cash prize because he was angry. He's like, oh, <laughs> they owe me $500. Uh, and, you know, the times have dropped because of that. I mean, $500 is nothing to scoff at from a local road race. And so you were mostly seeing times in like the mid 15s to, to, you know, low 16s to win it, which uh, I mean, it's ungodly hot when they run this race, and it's not the flattest of courses. But now, I think Kevin Castile came in last year and, and ran like 14 mid on it. And so, and they were also offering another additional 500 if you broke the record. So you had potential to get $1,000 from this road race in a town of 200,000 people. You know, I mean, it's not Peachtree or anything like that. My goodness. Um, so I think once you start offering those large amounts, you're not going to have high schoolers winning it anymore. You might have a college kid who can come in and win it. But but know. let's be honest here. I mean, if a high school kid, let's say that you're an elite high school athlete and you qualify for uh, NXN. Uh, are you getting at least $500 worth of value for qualifying for that? I would probably say yes. You know, you get the Nike kits and the shoes, and I think they pay, like, their, their flights to Portland and stuff. You know, and so somehow that's written into the rules where that's okay. You know, if you go to New Balance Nationals, you get a backpack and all kinds of stuff, and that's okay um, in those very specific events. But if you want to run, you know, like the Holy Angels 5K here that's raising money for, you know, autism research, and uh, and you win 100 bucks, God forbid you're walking on eggshells so that you don't lose – uh, your eligibility, that, that doesn't make sense to me. We're, we're still rewarding kids in this country that are at the peak, you know, level of, of, of their ability here, you know, so why not find a reasonable way to take care of high school kids? And as far as college kids go, uh, you know, the new rules about capitalizing on your likeness and stuff and autographs, you know, that there's nobody tracking down a college, like, track kids autograph. No. Um, so if you're me, not... They, they ought to be able to benefit from, you know, maybe um, paid appearances at certain track meets or getting to run in certain events at track meets uh, to have the same opportunities that some of these other guys are going to have because their opportunity is never going to be the equivalent monetarily. So they should at least have something where they get a chance to make some money out of the deal. I mean, nobody, I, you know, one of my friend's coaches at Southern Arkansas, you know, the Southern Arkansas track team, there's nobody going to be lining up for, for autographs or in that deal but if you know a distance runner at team can go out there and win the the magnolia arkansas you know summer fun run you know let them <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, my god that was kind of one of my main arguments you know i mean and even the likeness thing let's be honest you know if you're not the heisman trophy winner or one of about 20 
college athletes, you're probably not going to see very much, if anything, from it. You know, the, well, the place well, kicker for Louisiana Tech is not going to be getting money from his likeness. But the likeness rule is for video games. Like, you know, right. if they got rid of Madden NCAA football and NCAA basketball. If they do the likeness rule, they can bring it back. You know what you've never seen? NCAA cross-country on the PS4. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not happening. And that, that they want that rule so that colleges can get back to making more money by being able to offer those games again. Right, absolutely. And so, you know, that, that was one of the other things I was looking at. I mean, your earning potential for a football player, a basketball player, a baseball player, you know, softball player, uh, you know, soccer, any of these is so much higher than, you know, a track athlete or, you know, a distance runner. And then, you know, again, just the lifespan of like a sprinter, jumper, thrower. I mean, not lifespan, but career span. Let's say you're, you know, 2021 20, and you're like, you know, that that's kind of when a lot of the sprinters, jumpers, throwers are really kind of starting to hit that peak. And it's your first Olympics. You know, your next Olympics rolls around when you're 24, 25. You're going to have a very difficult time making that third Olympics when you're almost 30 as a sprinter and jumper. It's not to say it doesn't happen. It's just to say it's a lot more difficult. Whereas a distance runner, like, let's say you make a, you know, Olympic at 22, which I think would probably be like the best case scenario, which probably isn't going to happen, but you can come back at like, you know, 26, you can come back at 30, you can come back at 34, you can well, come back at 38, you, you can, can potentially come back at 42. Okay. I mean, like Bernard Lagat can go and run the 1500 uh, in right. the Olympics, uh, get a little bit slower, but not lose any kind of aerobic ability and move up to like the 5k, then the 10k, and exactly. the marathon. It, you know, once you start getting slow as a sprinter, it doesn't work. You, like, if you're slow at the 100, you can't move up the 200 or the 400 and be like, ah, I got this. You yeah, know? right. So, and there's not like there's world major 100-meter dashes that are going to take place in Chicago, New York, Berlin. I mean, you know, I think, you know, as a distance runner, like the marathon stuff, you have a whole lot better of an opportunity to make that money than you do uh, as a sprinter or as a, you know, I mean, if we look at somebody like Mondo the Planets, like, the kid, you know, I, I was surprised he went to college the first year just because, like, and I think Flow Track or Let's Run or somebody said, you know, they figured he was probably giving up about 100 grand that first year, which would put him probably in the top 1% of track and field earners just right off the bat coming out of high school. And, you know, should that kid have been able to make money from that 100%? Because it's not like, it, you know, as a pole vaulter, you're going to be doing that forever. Like, let these individuals make some money early on because just to me, their earning potential is so much lower than other sports that like it should allow them to make up for it. How about a simple right. solution here? You know, they, they have rules now where um, like football players, all right, so football players, if you're not a walk-on, they, you know, they've got like 80 scholarships they can get full rides for football. They've got so many full rides they can get for basketball. Now on top of that, uh, besides the, uh, paying for the tuition, the fees, the room and board. They, they now, NCAA has approved for them to get almost like a stipend uh, as part of them being part of these full scholarship athletes so they can make a little bit more money. What if the solution to the problem for high school and college runners is, uh, you know, take into account what, what you're getting for a running scholarship, which we know that's atrocious. It's like 12 scholarships to field a 40-person team. And really it's to field three teams, cross-country, indoor, and outdoor track. Uh, we're the only sport where they don't – cross-country is the only sport at the NCAA that doesn't have its own separate scholarships. They're shared with the track team. So, But what if we, you know, tell athletes, look, you can earn money in road races, 
you know, and competitions uh, on the track and stuff, uh, up to that amount that football players are, are being given just for playing football. You know, so that a high school kid, you know, is earning money to go to college for free. A college kid that's in there, you know, struggling to make do because he's, he's got a book scholarship, but he's a great runner, um, you know, can earn money to pay for the rest of his college so that they're getting the same benefits as other athletes. I, I think that's at least fair. I mean, there, there are a lot of football players who are never going to earn anything outside of college that are good football players, but they get all of college covered along with the ability to like live while they're in college pretty easily you know so let's let's give you know track kids the ability to have something similar uh you know to make up for the fact that you know although there are lots of spots for track kids to to be able to compete there's not a lot of money to for them out there for the college to finance those you know individuals makes sense uh here's a question that i had during this entire conversation how would y'all feel if like a high school athlete got paid based on their performance in the middle of, you know, school events. So say they get first place at regionals and then first place at state. Do they get paid I, for that? I would, I would hate that idea. You would hate uh, that? Okay. Yeah. I think most guys <laughs> are going to probably, uh, I've literally like thrown meats to like have the kids like learn a valuable lesson. Uh, you know, in 2016, uh, our boys had, we moved to 5A in, starting in 2011. 2010, we won the state championship 4A. So 2011, uh, 12, 13, 14, and 15, we finished sixth in 5A uh, behind the five major private uh, schools that, that compete in Louisiana. And so in 2016, I thought we had a really, really good team, but I wanted to put our kids in situations where they didn't just look at the private schools and go, oh, we're going to lose to them. So our first meet of the year, we got invited to the Mobile Meet of Champions in Alabama. Us and um, Brother Martin out of New Orleans were the two Louisiana schools that got the invite. Then, so I told our guys, I was like, look, we're going to open this 5K race at the mile mark. If, if you are not uh, at six minutes at the mile, uh, as in running slower than what you should be racing, you know, I want you to slow down. I want you to run, open the first mile in six minutes. If you're ahead of six minutes at the mile, I'm pulling you off the course. And the kids were just like, what, what, what? And stuff. I said, look, this, this is how we're going to do it today. You're going to run at six minute mile, and then you're going to do your best to go, you know, catch these guys. Because I, I wanted to take their mind off of, we're just going to lose to Brother Martin. You know, we're going to get out fast with Brother Martin, and they're just going to, you know, take us to the woodshed. And so we did that. Our guys ran a uh, six minute pace, then they went and took off. Uh, and we lost to Brother Martin that day, but we, we, we didn't lose by very many points. And all of a sudden, the kids were like, Coach, if you had to made us run six minutes, you know, I think we could have beat those guys. You know, and look forward to the end of the season. We we did beat Brother Martin. We beat every private school but one. Uh, you know, and now it was it was heartbreaking. We we had the first five kids, the first team of five kids in, so we got to see our our team roll across the scoreboard as if we had won the thing. And then uh, St. Paul's has their fifth guy come in, and we we get switched to second. Uh, but we definitely broke that mentality of we can't beat the, the private schools by doing that. If money had been involved in that, there's no way I could have convinced those kids to open in six minutes. Uh, those morons would be going <laughs> for gold from the very beginning. Every, every race, if, if you're paying winners, is going to look like, what, what's the elimination races? Uh, where you get like, uh, you know, if you're if you're the last person each lap, they throw you out of the race. Yeah, the elimination yeah. mile or something. Yeah, those that's are, those what every <laughs> high school cross-country race would look like. It would be just people just sprinting all out 
<laughs> the very beginning, and then just people just dying out, dying out, yeah. dying out, dying out, whatever. The last Kinsini <laughs> would not be the fastest. It'd be like the least exhausted. Well, and I think you would wind up with, especially, you know, whenever pro level where, sure, a pro athlete can go out every single weekend and run a road race or run a track meet, you know, all the Diamond League meets and, and attempt to win all this money. But at that point, they've kind of got it figured out. A high school or college athlete, like if you tell them, like, you know, if we just said during our normal track season, like, hey, we're going to give 100 bucks to the kid that wins the mile every meet, like, you're going to have kids who run 12 or 15 mile races a year, which is overtraining. Like, you should not be racing the mile 12 weeks in a row. Like, that is just doing right. damage to you. You're going to have, you're going to have people overtraining for that. Uh, I, I would just see, a few more problems with that because you know even the road racing thing that would be something you'd have to you know as a coach I look at that and I'm like I can see issues with it because you know that was one of the things that we've talked about you know we didn't let the kids go do road races during the cross-country season and we'd have these kids come up or during any of the seasons really you know during the summer you know if they wanted to do one or two we would sometimes discuss it but for the most part we tried to keep them out of the road races because it didn't necessarily fit with our training model you know that'd be something you'd have to work out with your athletes because if you had this and you said, hey, let's, let, you can go race and win money, then you're going to have kids who all summer long, they're going to be trying to enter these races. So I, I do see a downside to this as well. Don't and I think wrong. there are fixes too because you can – we make rules about when kids can and can't play club soccer that are high school soccer players. We make rules about when you can and can't run like, you know, club track. So maybe there is like a, like a window for when you're allowed to – you know, in, in one of the off seasons get to go and, and road race for money so that it doesn't become something that we lose our high school athletes while they're chasing cash. You know, I mean, I think there's something that would obviously have to be written in place. Like, you know, you in December you can race, maybe in July you can race, you know, but otherwise if you're a high school kid, you know, you, you know we're not going to give you permission to do these other races or something. So you don't sacrifice the sport and the team for the sake of the individual trying to make some money. Yeah. So one thing I found that I think we'll at least get a laugh out of, and then we can continue talking for a minute or if we want to move on, we can. Uh, on that same article that was kind of going in and discussing how little uh, track athletes are actually making, uh, I was talking about Olympians on the whole and kind of how they do things. And so it was like, well, you know, what can Olympians do to make money? And so it's kind of showing these like uh, the lucky ones, how former Olympic athletes make a living. And so it's like, you know, get endorsements, Michael Johnson. Uh, there's only three track athletes on here. Uh, get endorsements, Michael Johnson. Some of these, it says become an actor. Jason Statham used to be a diver. Ryan Lochte apparently has been on 30 Rock and 90210. Um, uh, you know, uh, one says become a reality. He's also video for robbing a place. So like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a guy. Um, the, one says become a reality TV star. Uh, Bruce Jenner, now known as Caitlyn Jenner, uh, and it says he is a former weedy cereal box poster boy, actor, NBA draft pick, which did not know what? that, and reality TV star, stepdad on the show, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which basically just you know kind of means you have to marry into that, I guess, from right. from uh, the Jenner point of view. And then my favorite is uh, the very last entry, and so some of these jobs it's saying is professional athlete, Boy Mayweather become a coach, do voiceover work, Michelle Kwan, become a sportscaster, Mark Spitz. And then the very last one is become a call girl, Susie Favor Hamilton. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> the the, the uh, dark side of track and field right there. The dark side of track and field. So, there we uh, go. You know, that's, I guess. But, I mean, 
Boris Berrien, you know, made the Olympics uh, in 2016. Uh, he forgot a Burger King, you know, and he called Joe Vigil and was like, please, please coach me. No one will sponsor me. No one will do anything. And, and Vigil was like, look, if, if you – if you're just willing to move, you know, up the, you know, Flagstaff or whatever, like move to altitude, I'll see you work out. California. Yeah, you know, if you'll if you'll make it work, and uh, it's like that. But I mean, that guy literally, I mean, was, was completely in poverty and representing our country uh, as you know the fastest 800 meter runner, you know, from from America that year. So I mean, it is. It, it people get uh, mystique for the professional athlete life. Yeah, that mystique does not exist very much in, in track and field. No, uh, you know, and this was something that was brought up a lot, especially if you kind of watch the, the old Dupree Fontaine movies in the 70s, uh, where a lot of the European countries would almost like kind of pay their athletes a stipend to train. You know, that was one of the things where like some of the, the East Germans, they would, you know, make them a police officer. And that was, you know, just so they could collect the salary. And at the time, if you were an Olympic athlete in the States, you, you couldn't even be a professional. You couldn't even make money. Um, and I, I don't know that our current system has really improved on that a whole lot. I don't, I don't think that, you know, the way they have college set up, um, for especially track and field athletes, you know, people who are going out for Olympics and competing on a national level, as opposed to just, you know, I'm going to go join a, a, you know, a professional league that's, you know, strictly in the United States. I don't know that we've, we've done a very good job of allowing these athletes develop i think we've hindered them in a certain sense you know if you look at some other countries it's, it's eye-opening when i talk to my australian co-worker um who's who's you know i ask him how sports are done over there for the high school level and he goes we like put like zero importance on sports at the high school like, we have like a sports day like you know once a week or something it's 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 just not like to this level and he's like even the university level and if you look at a lot of those a lot of those it's more like a club thing like if you're a runner you're a member of a running club and you're coached by the same guy in high school and college. And so there's no worry about, Oh, I'm, you know, going to get paid and lose my scholarship or something like that. And you're keeping the same coach. Um, so, you know, do y'all think that our, our current system kind of hinders our Olympic performances um, from our athletes? I mean, I, based on the performances that we're having currently, I'd say that it, it does not, uh, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't get better. I, I always laugh because, um, uh, you know, every time that we got to a very, very high level in uh, distance running, uh, I found that the next year we, we got less stuff to work with, um, you know, and so it was always interesting. It's like, well, look, you did it this way. Like, obviously, you can do it again, and, and you don't have to, to travel as much this year, or we don't need you to fundraise as much this year. Uh, and so. I think that might be the case with American uh, Olympians right now. It's like, y'all are doing great, so therefore we don't need to put more money in this when it's the exact opposite. Like, the better you get, the more it takes to be successful, you know. So I, I would say very easily people from the outside could look in and go, look, I mean, the United States is still dominating the medal counts of these Olympics, so it doesn't matter, you know, that we're not paying these athletes the way other countries do. They're still, you know, getting after it and stuff. But it it does make you wonder, like, how much more dominant could we be if we were taking care of these athletes, you know, in a better manner and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's – I mean, we, we could uh, beat this to death, you know, with this. Uh, Rebo, you got, again, I would say not only the, the longest opening, but obviously the best question we've had so far because we have taken this one to all degrees. And I think there's no end to this question because we could explore it in so many levels 
it, it just shows you that, you know, people, the powers above us, there's a lot that they really should be putting into how we treat these athletes and, and what could be happening instead of just going with the status quo. We, I mean, like when Fontaine, Prefontaine was, you know, fighting to, to stop the, the AAU from, from what they were doing uh, and that battle for all those years. It, I mean, it looks like we're about time for something like that again, some kind of major change for athletes are, are standing up for, for things like that. So, um, so where, what we got next? Uh, I believe you're going to be introducing the uh, the the news to start kick us off. We have a a very fast 5K time uh, recorded by a um, female runner who who came back after a few years off, right? Uh, right, uh, ten years off actually. Uh, Kira Damato, uh, mother of two and a real estate agent in Virginia, uh, came back uh, this year after ten years off to do a time trial 5K on the track and ran a stellar time of 15.04, okay? Uh, to put that in perspective, uh, if that had counted an official meet, it would have been an Olympic qualifying time uh, for her to be at the Olympic trials. Uh, and she is only the seventh woman uh, in history uh, to run a sub 15.05 5K at the age 35 or older. Um, joining uh, Shalane Flanagan, uh, who we all know from major marathons, who ran a 14.59 at age 35. Uh, so I posed the question earlier. Uh, I asked Rebo how fast he was at the age of 35. And uh, Rebo, your response was? <laughs> I just turned 32. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, but so I guarantee you at 30. Now, are we getting a 15.05 out of Adam Rebo? <laughs> that might be a very good, we need to, you know, we need to remember this and and on my 35th birthday i'll go out and we'll just set like a countdown timer of uh 1504 1505 and just see how far i can get like i do like uh, i like the countdown timer instead of just going for the 1504 like yeah so so see how far i can you know can i make it two and a half miles can i make it two and three quarter miles i'm not making it three i guarantee you that unless uh Something miraculous happens between now and then. Not 5,001 meters? You're not going to go? Yeah. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that. Maybe 4,001 meter if I got super lucky. I did think it was interesting that uh, Kira is actually coached by Alan Webb's uh, high school, I guess, slash professional coach. He took a, you know, took a break and went to Michigan for a year um, and then uh, kind of went back there. But, uh, you know, I mean, obviously that coach, you know, uh, Scott Rathke or whatever, is, is a guy who knows what what he's doing, and so it's interesting that he he took this girl on and then helped coach her to this. But uh, how amazed are y'all by somebody at age thirty five running you know sub fifteen oh five for five k, uh, especially being a female? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean that's incredible. Mother too. I, I love just kind of like how humble and great sense of humor she had. I think she posted on uh, Twitter. I saw uh, after the fact, and somebody posted about it, and she just like replied and was like. You know, in all actuality, I was just trying to finish and get home before my kids' cartoon was over, and they realized I was gone. Uh, <laughs> and I think I she also was... said that she was bummed that she didn't get a free race t-shirt. I think that was another <laughs> one of her complaints. So you see where her loyalties lie. T-shirts. <laughs> the, the, the things runners will do for a free shirt are probably more than what runners will do for winning money at races. <laughs> yeah, I, on a, a brief aside, and something I've really enjoyed, uh, a couple of races have started doing this because, my God, I've, I've had drawers filled with just, you know, running shirts that I have no need of. Um, a lot of races now are kind of doing a thing where 
you know, hey, it's 50 bucks to enter this half. But if you don't want a finishing medal and you don't want a t-shirt, you can do it for 30. And like, I, I love that because I, I don't need any more finishing medals or t-shirts. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit now. Uh, I'm talking about uh, going back to the darker side of the track and field. We have a couple of sprinters um who are in trouble currently um because they have missed some um drug tests we have uh one is a an american sprinter um 100 meter christian coleman uh who has uh made this a habit uh, i believe he got in trouble for this a, a year or two back and now uh again he made a, an impassioned plea on twitter that you know this was all a mistake, um, but he he missed uh, I believe what is it three drug tests on a row, um, where you know they're they're all how how these work is of course athletes get drug tested at the events when they get there. Um, I don't even know that that's random. I think that they all just get drug tested when they get to uh, some of these major meets, especially World Championships and Olympics. Um, but in my mind, any you know it, if if you get caught <laughs> at that point, you're you're an idiot. Most of them know, like, I'm going to do these, you know, performance enhancing drugs early on in my training cycle. So they're out of my system by the time I get to, you know, competition phase. Um, so they have another thing where they're allowed to surprise them um, and just kind of show up and say, hey, you know, you have to do a drug test. And they get, uh, I believe, two misses. Uh, and if they miss a third time, then it becomes uh, an issue because at that point they feel you're dodging them, you know. Um, I know this is one of the things where like Lance Armstrong would always get tipped off and like be throwing bags of crap in his vehicle or calling somebody and like, Hey, they're coming to check out my house. Like, you know, get, get my EPO and hide it or whatever. Um, so this apparently happened to Christian Coleman. And we also have someone on the women's side, the 400 meter um, world champion uh, is currently facing a two year ban. She has missed four drug tests in a 12 month, um, period. Um, so that's, that's not a good sign. It doesn't necessarily make you look, uh, innocent. That's for sure. What do you, what do you guys think about this? Uh, her name, I'm uh, probably, um, uh, Miss Sawa, uh, I, Nasser, Nasser. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, it, I, what do we call her? We'll call her Sal. Maybe for uh, this conversation. We, we, Asawa, that, that'll work. I mean, yeah. so, uh, but uh, Asawa, um, yeah, it was weird. She she missed three, and then they let her run the world championships because there was a dispute about the third one. And so then she won the world championships and then came back and missed the fourth one. Um, I don't know if you guys understand this, but uh, when you become an elite athlete, there's like a a system, and you're required to enter into it like every day where you're going to be at a certain time. And once you make that commitment uh, to that, they're welcome to show up where you say you're going to be uh, during that time slot. And if you're not there, if like you all, you ran to the grocery store and they show up, it is an automatic miss, you know, one strike against you. You know, so uh, it's not like Christian Colvin should be surprised that these people showed up. He enters something in the computer every day saying, this is where I'm going to be at this time, you know, so the expectation, you know, should be, they make it 
pretty idiot proof to be able to do this. Now, uh, the problem I think for most athletes is the, the fact that you every single day are having to enter in this data. I, I would hate that, you know, but you have to because they got to keep it random. Uh, so the idea that you would actually type in where you're going to be and then not be there, that doesn't, especially if you, if, if that already happened twice, from that point on, I'm going to schedule that time every day to be sitting my rear end at the house or something waiting on these people. I'm, I'm not getting a third one. Right. And like, I've heard some people be like, well, why don't they have it to where the athletes download like a GPS tracker on their phone? so that these testers can know exactly where they are at all times. And I'm like, you don't need to do that. You have this hour long thing every day. Like you were I talking could give about. my phone to someone else. Right. The <laughs> <laughs> find my athlete app is going to change the way we drug test. <laughs> Guys, we're in a hot market here. We, we got something. Okay. We do. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to copyright the Find My Athlete app right after this. So if you develop this, we we want, you know, a small percentage for giving you the Small? Idea. No, no, it's our idea. We want it all. <laughs> uh, this actually, you know, I, I foresee this being a future Q&A because I was thinking about this as well on one of the runs. But, you know, um, I, I kind of feel that, you know, our current system for dealing with performance enhancing drugs, I, I just don't think it works, um, you know. I don't really see it being strong enough to dissuade people from doing it, especially like, I mean, if you miss three and they let you run the world championship, like, I mean, at that point to me, that's, that's kind of, you know, we're, we're, there's no accountability in that aspect. And, you know, and, and I imagine it would be extremely annoying as an athlete to have to log every, you know, Hey, from 12 to one, every single day, I'm going to be here or here or here. And some might say, well, that's, you know, kind of an invasion of privacy, but you know, I don't, I don't necessarily see it that way. That's just kind of the, the necessary evil of all this, you know, because this is something that's definitely uh, taken over the sport that we all love. And, and it's definitely something, you know, that, that affects people. I mean, you, you see athletes that, you know, maybe they get fourth in the Olympics, uh, maybe they get third and, you know, they're standing there and uh, let's say you get fourth. I mean, you don't get a gold medal. You silver, excuse me, you don't get bronze medal. And then you, you know, three years later, because they, they put some of their, um, you know, their samples uh, on, on ice or whatever, and they retest them. It comes out that the, the bronze medalist who beat you, you know, got popped for whatever, anabolic steroids. So, you get awarded the medal after the fact, but you didn't get to stand up there and, and get the recognition. You know, you didn't get your, your 15 minutes in the spotlight for maybe the 15 years you've worked your butt off to get it. You're, you're probably uh, not getting your 15 grand for getting a bronze medal either. Um, you know, at that point after the fact, yeah, no. right. You know, and that person who did get that medal is getting their money. They're getting their recognition. Oh, they have to give the medal back. Give me a break. Um, you know, I mean, it's sad that people corrupted the sport to the degree that we have to do this, you know, but I mean, that's the level we're at at this point, you know, we, we got to have something, you know, uh, America's best triple jumper, Christian Taylor is upset right now because they made an announcement that due to the COVID virus, they were going to test less often. And his argument was, why, why air that out? Why, why not just test less often and not tell anybody because no one knows when someone gets randomly drug tested. But by you announcing it, you just told people, this is the time to go ahead and, and, and dope a little bit. And, you, you know, if you're playing the odds, you've got a better chance of being successful right now. 
you know, why, why keep making this so easy on the offenders instead of having something, you know, simple that works all the time? I mean, even if you're announcing when you're going to test people, if you test them often enough, there's nothing they can do to, to avoid it anyway. I mean, just, you know, I mean, if I, if, hey, you're, you're a professional athlete, we're going to test you, you know, uh, every, you know, two weeks, we got somebody in your area that's going to come there and test you. You know what? You're not going to fool around with trying to figure out a way to evade that kind of thing, you know, but uh, the way we do it now, you're right. I mean, uh, Asawa, you know, I mean, she's, she got the money for being a world champion. She got the gold medal for being a world champion. She's not even losing that because she's not getting, she didn't fail a drug test. So she doesn't even have to forfeit the gold or the medal. She can let the drugs come out of her system if, if they're in there. And she never gets accused of being a drug cheat. She gets this asterisk that says, hey, she, she missed too many tests. You know, and see, that, here's the thing about that. Like, her attitude about it all was absolutely ridiculous. Because I saw a quote, and I looked it up just now. Her quote about the entire situation was, I've never been a cheat. I never will be. I only missed three drug tests, which is normal. It happens. Yeah. I'm like, Michael wait, Johnson what? was very offended by that because Michael Johnson, you know, uh, the <laughs> most elite of 400 meter runners, uh, you know, he was like, what? what? How is this normal? I've never missed three drug tests. Like, that doesn't make sense. Christian Coltman's argument today is that they didn't call him ahead of time. He didn't get a courtesy phone call to uh, take this drug test. I'm thinking that kind of defeats the purpose of a random drug test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're coming over. If you have anything, flush it or throw it away or give it to someone to drive off the permit. Cause I believe with some of these checks, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're allowed to go and like look in your stuff perhaps. I, I'm not sure. I don't know the, the entire process on this. Um, but yeah, it, it's ridiculous to, to act like missing a bunch of these, you know, that's something you sign up for when you're an elite athlete and and we can sit here and argue about how it's ridiculous all we want but like you know there there has been a bail star you're signing up to have paparazzi come and invade your life all the time that's your life choice you know uh, you know you're the president of the united states congratulations you can't go to you know mcdonald's anymore by yourself i like people know what they're getting into when they become you know professional athletes and actors and politicians it's part of the deal yeah i agree 100 percent all right, so um, a, a little bit of, um, I guess, good news uh, as we try to get things in this country back to normal as much as possible from this uh, COVID pandemic has been announced that the first uh, professional track meet uh, of the summer will be held in North America. Um, it's the Nashville Track Club has announced the date of their 18th annual Music City Distance Carnival, um, which I love so much more than just a normal track meet. Um, on August 15th, the club will run an event closed to spectators in an undisclosed location in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, which will probably, or excuse me, which will be streamed live for fans to tune in and watch. Um, in a memo titled Throw Track is Back, the club announced their plans to host the event, which draws an extremely elite crowd. So uh, the track meet will run after Nashville's professional soccer team opens their season uh hopefully not in the same place <laughs> <laughs> and uh it looks like the races that they're going to do are the 800 1500 one mile 3k and 5k they're gonna run a 15 and a one mile yes sir that seems that seems redundant <laughs> wait a minute does that i think i'm reading that incorrectly like prefontaine do like the women's 1500 and the men's mile or you know something like that so 
maybe that, that would make sense that right? but not not having a men's 15 and the men's mile okay i may i may be wrong what i just i did see that the uh the uh the meet that they had the high school meet in arizona that they just had kind of like the it was like the last chance kind of thing for high school kids uh yeah. they offered uh in each they offered a 1600 and then an elite mile a 3200 and then an elite two mile <laughs> Oh, wow. I, I That's even worse. If you're, if you're really elite, you get to run nine more meters. <laughs> <laughs> then you get to pull the like, well, you know, like me and this guy are generally the two fastest. So the 3,200 or you run this two mile? Um, right. You know, Alan, Alan yeah, used so to that, do that uh, whenever he was running in med school. He would he would go to all these road races and just want to get the cash. So he'd specifically pick out ones that were offering like a cash prize. And generally it was a 5K, 10K. And so uh, uh, Micah T-Rop would come over from East Texas for a lot of those too because he's, he's a very fast uh, runner. And uh, Alan would always wait and sign up the day of. And so he'd run up to Micah in the morning and be like, Micah, doing the 5k or 10k michael like i'm doing the five counts like, all right i'm gonna sign up for a 10k and they go back and forth and i was like you don't want to race him he's like i mean you know there's a good chance i could beat him but like i can go out there and run like a 39 minute 10k as opposed to having to race him and run like a 36 minute 10k like why why would i like you know put that much stress on myself to maybe not win 100 bucks <laughs> but, but yeah so the actual quote is the meet will be sanctioned by usa track and field and several olympic medalists Defending U.S. champions and U.S. record holders are expected to be among world-class fields in pro races over, and it gives those distances. So well, I'm excited for track to be back. Uh, God bless the people that have been trying to make track exciting during this. Um, I don't know if you saw the Impossible Games um, where Team Inga Britson went against Team Chariot, uh, but due to social distancing, Inga Britson's group is racing in like 60-degree uh, beautiful weather with this track with no wind and chariot group racing at like 7,000 feet altitude and like a thunderstorm uh, and getting destroyed. So uh, I, I would really, really enjoy seeing groups of people on the track at the same track at the same time. Uh, yeah. uh, I do like that because there there is like this weird little cult that is track followers and God bless them. We're, we're some of them that all of these track meets that are going off with athletes on the same track are having to hide their location for fear of fans showing up, you know, too much to celebrate it. Uh, that's amazing to me. That, that's a good sign for our sport when we've got to like, you know, hide it for fear of people attending. Cause I've been to many a track meet where there was no fear of people attending. There was yeah, fear of yeah, people no kidding, right? <laughs> I would like to say that I do, do feel like I give off a cult leader vibe a little bit when you're, you know, discussing being in a cult so when you shave your head uh this week you're gonna look like that little cult that was next to bowerman's house uh, uh yeah 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 and the, uh the high country the um oh the Rama yeah, or so for yeah. your people what i don't know what they were called yeah, i don't know this story at all it's it's a it's wild wild country on netflix it's yeah. a documentary about it um and it's also and if bought you... a bunch of land next to bill bowerman and yeah. then they tried to like poison the water of the city in Oregon. Like a uh, salad bar. They tried to kill the mayor uh, <laughs> of that town. What? Uh, they collected a whole bunch of like AR-15s, and so they were going to start like a revolution. Yeah. And meanwhile, like Bowerman's trying to like you know take on this cult to get him to move out from next door. <laughs> it's it's so, called a. Uh, 
I, they have a documentary on Netflix. It's like Wild Country or Wild Wild Country, something like that. They they, they covers it and it actually has I think his son. Um, it just you know at the beginning kind of there you know they have interviews and so and so Bowerman talking about it. Um, and they they have like floodlights that they would point up at their house at night to like try to get them to move away. So they would just like basically floodlight these people's house all night long. You're not getting Bill Bowerman to move away. Literally, I mean, <laughs> you put, put dynamite on his mailbox. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but yeah, for some, if you read the Men of Oregon, which is a fascinating book about Bowerman and all the people he, he trains, you get to like two chapters to go, and all of a sudden there's this huge swing to oh by the way there's a cult living next door, <laughs> Bill Bowerman. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so you you should check that out. You would uh, it, it would be highly entertaining for you, and you could you could see some others of the Indian persuasion and how they dealt with it. doing some ridiculous things <laughs> um speaking of series that uh have you guys ever watched the there's like a i don't know what it's on it's not on like a mainstreaming service it may just be on youtube um uh it's a series on the ingerbritsons i have not oh. i would love to know more about the ingerbritsons yeah yeah it's i know alan's i'll have to talk to alan and get the, the info and we'll talk about it on the next podcast that he was watching a bunch of his house and we'd go over um, it kind of, you know, at first, it, it, the youngest one is it, uh, Jacob, the youngest one, I believe. Um, he uh, he's not really he's like high school when it starts out, and so it's kind of starting off with the the other two, and then you know since then I think he's kind of rose in prominence to, to one of the better ones of the of the three brothers. But it goes in depth and like shows their the coaching and you know them living together and their training, and it, it's it's a very interesting look at you know kind of that family dynamic and the, the training that's been going on with those individuals um, since they were, you know, a little bit younger. So, well, speaking of, speaking of high school guys, uh, I, I do have a question for y'all. Um, you know, I, I've actually been bragging about you guys a lot lately um, because I, as you should, I'm in these groups and we talk about like what we look for in assistant coaches. And I tell people like, I wanted assistant coaches that were very knowledgeable um, that did not have uh, any kind of like egos uh, or did not have like, you know, the low self-esteem to not be able to stand up for the head coach. But I, I wanted people that were willing to debate me for the betterment of the kids, you know. And so like when I would come, you know, before practice and tell Raybo like what the workout was, you know, uh, Raybo would sometimes be like, look, man, I, what are you doing this for? <laughs> Stuff or maybe we should look at doing, you know, this instead. And uh, you know, so I've always kind of liked that I can learn from that kind of thing. So right now, um, I'm in the the position where we have some new rules for the coronavirus where we cannot uh, travel uh, this year uh, to any kind of overnight meets. So we're, we're going to be limited probably to about 120 miles uh, to be able to drive during a day to go to a cross-country meet. And so I have a very young team. Uh, I can look at creating meets because of staying more local one of two ways. I can try to build confidence in these kids by finding meets that are close to home where we could get a lot of success, uh, possibly maybe even create it in a way to have like an undefeated season going into the big meets, district regionals and state, and, and maybe have a, a very confident group of runners. Uh, or I could, you know, continue to do what we have done in the past, which is try to find the best challenging races to push them just with some caveats it's going to be a little harder to do this close i mean we we've got a really strong team rustin uh that is uh able to um 
uh, do really, really well up here. Their boys got second in the state last year. So that's, that's a team that's close by that we can still push ourselves with. Um, you know, but uh, which way should we go in this stuff? Should we uh, look for a way to, um, you know, build that confidence or should we look for a way to, to, to have people, you know, looking for people to chase after? So, Raybo, what do you think? Uh, so as I would pose a few questions for you before, you know, I, I kind of got started on this. So, I, I, you know, I know you said you had the young team. Is, I know you have one uh, girl currently who's, who's a bit of a, a harrier. But other than that, how is it? How are things? I know your boy side is a very young team. Is it, is it kind of somewhere on the girl side? Uh, so on the girls' side, uh, let's see, we're returning um, four of our top seven girls. Um, and then uh, we have um, a couple of sophomore girls that last year kind of got their feet wet that have, have moved up and are doing pretty well. Uh, and we've got three freshman girls that I think will have a chance uh, to be successful. Um, so on the girls' side, we're, we're probably a little bit um, – older on the girls side in terms of things uh, who we return you know we we return a girl that's got got the potential to win the state championship herself uh we've got another senior that's been on the state team from freshman year on uh two twins last year that were freshmen that made the state team uh whereas on the boys side we return uh two sub five minute milers uh one that hit 440 last year and then we're going to be relying heavily on sophomores and freshmen to be a part of those things so all right. So, um, you know, I, I would kind of go in this and uh, typically, you know, as, as any coach, you, you have expectations going into the season um, about, you know, where you think your team will end up. And, you know, of course, every coach would like to think, well, we're, you know, we're, we're going after the state title. But, you know, I, I definitely think there are some years where as a coach, you just kind of look and you go, uh, I don't, you know, it, it's no point in us like really fighting and, and going after the, you know, something that we, we know we're not going to achieve it to be better to kind of build up the team, build up the confidence of the team. So um, in this situation, you know, especially with the younger team, um, I might, I might stick with stuff um, a little bit closer to home, a little bit more of the confidence builders, um, especially, you know, 120 miles doesn't allow you to get very far, unfortunately, from uh, the Shreveport Bossier area. You know, you could, you could do, um, I'm trying to think of big meets in Louisiana, um, you know, Menard um, is a is definitely a larger meet, um, and that's in you know the Pineville area, uh, and that's a that's a tough course, so that'd be a good one, and and that one might even be good um, for like Jocelyn, where she's able to get some some um, some better competition because Menard, you know, a lot of times you'll have some of the teams from South Louisiana come up and run at the Menard meet, and you get a good, you used to get a good pull. I I haven't been there in a few years, so I'm not sure if they still have kind of the the larger pool that they used to have. Um, but, you know, I mean, Baton Rouge meets are basically out for you because that's a four hour drive and it's not really, you can't wake up at two in the morning and drive a team down and expect to have good things happen uh, so, after traveling uh, for four hours. I do have one idea I came up with, um, see if you agree or not, but I, I thought about maybe doing it once during the year. Uh, my principal stay with this idea but I thought about maybe calling down to the schools in the Baton Rouge, New Orleans area and setting up a Thursday afternoon meet where we could leave school seven, eight in the morning, take our time getting down to the meet, have time to you know eat lunch, relax, stretch out, maybe do a morning little run, shake out, 
get to the meet, warm up, race, and then and then come back. Where, because uh, I mean, coming back three and a half, four hours at night um, after a meet, getting over at five o'clock isn't that big a deal for us. But it, it does kind of change the training schedule. It is a little bit more unique. But it, do you think that that's something that I need to try to set up? You know, maybe one good swing to get a highly competitive across the board meet where we're we're young and we're having to chase everybody you know to kind of teach these freshmen um what it's going to look like you know the next year and the year after and the year after before they see it for the first time at like state yeah i think whenever you have a young team it's definitely um you know this is what we talk about a lot with the art of coaching every year team changes what you're going to be doing needs to change and so when you have a young team like this it's very important to build the confidence um you know if if I mean, winning's fun. Doing well is fun. Um, and getting the crap kicked out of you day in and day out is not fun. So, you know, if you if you go to, you know, eight meets in the year and, and you're finishing, you know, fifth or lower at every single meet, it, I think it, it does start having kind of a psychological effect on some of the runners. You're going to lose out on a runner or two, um, you know, whether or not psychologically or they just physically quit the team that you might have done better had you, you know, enabled them to have a taste of that success. And this is something I think that, you know, you've done well, we've done well in the past of, of kind of developing. Um, I would highly recommend if it's a younger team, give them some taste of success. But I always think that you should, you know, you should have one of those just brow buster meets where like, you know, and, and it just could be one, you know, I mean, um, and, and the state meet will actually serve as that as well. But it would be nice, especially for, you know, like Jocelyn's sake, I know you're your number one uh, girl runner. Uh, you know, she needs to have at least one race where she gets to go up against some competition so that when she gets to the stage, she understands like what she can do. And, and, and mentally, she may already be ready for that. You know, some some runners, you know, have that self-confidence and, and they just know I can go do that. Some need to get in a race and beat a few people to go, OK, I can beat them today. I can beat them when it counts. So I would highly recommend, you know doing some meets closer to home, uh, you know, maybe finding stuff like, you know, you could, you could do Rustin pretty easily, you know, Cedar Creek, um, you know, used to have a meet that was pretty good. Um, you know, Menard meet down in, in Pineville was, was always a pretty decent little meet. Of course, there's, you know, just about one in Treeport Bossier every weekend um, through, you know, some of the smaller schools and stuff like that, which typically in the past that, you know, other than maybe, you know, airline or a few different individuals, we didn't really have too much of an issue with those. And so we, we tried to kind of go and find some maybe larger meets where it was a little bit more um, challenging. But yeah, I, I would recommend building up that confidence, giving them a taste of some success, letting them, you know, build, but also understanding that like, they're still, you know, they're, they're going to be big fish in a small pond at this point. Um, and that there's, there's much bigger ponds with much bigger fish. Uh, and, you know, it's something we've ran into before. I know there was one year where, you know, we had a, a boys team who, they thought they were just the, they were it, man. They, they thought they were hot stuff and, you know, and, and then you, you take them to, you know, a, a, a meet and they just get browbeat and you're just like, Hey guys, guess what? Like, you're not, you're not, we gotta, we gotta go back to work. Let's like you don't get to take the day off. All right. We, we lost Prasant for a minute. It looks like he's back on. Um, I am back. I lost right. part of your conversation, though. <laughs> so, so Prasad, the, the question in the shortest version is, uh, with the limitations we have for travel with COVID, should I try to make a schedule that favors uh, having our kids have a lot of success against some of the more localized teams, or should we be trying to find a way to still compete 
uh, in some of these meets where uh, our very young team this year is going to struggle, but maybe learn some things from that. So uh, more confidence, more struggle. Which which way you go in this? Well, from the the small amount of the conversation I heard y'all have, I feel like a balance between the two is a really good idea. But one thing that does come to mind as a question is how do you know if you're having your athletes race too much? Because I haven't ever been part of the deciding what meets to go to side of things. So how do you know if you're giving too many races for your kids? Uh, so my general rule of thumb, uh, when I first took over the program, the people before me raced every week. And so we just did that. And, and I do see some very successful high school teams that do that. I, I don't see those kids going on to be successful outside of high school doing that. Um, so our general thumb nowadays uh, is typically somewhere around the pattern of two weeks on, one week off. Uh, so we race two meets, and then we take a week where we're just on Saturdays doing the long run, kind of readjusting things, resetting, you know, and then two meets. And, then long. and so we end up doing, uh, if you look at it, we end up doing five regular season meets. And now that Louisiana has regionals, we do three, like, I guess, um, championship season meets district regionals in the state. So we look at eight total. I'm not wrapped around the idea that every kid has to run every meet. There are times where we make some judgment calls and stuff. And I, I think, you know, Rabo alluded to the art of coaching. I think there, there's an art to that sometimes. Sometimes a kid, you know, a, a great runner kind of gets the yips. Uh, and so maybe they need to not race a certain race, or maybe I need to take them and put them in a race like a JV race or a local race and let them go like have a, even if they're having a bad day, let them go shine and kind of, you know, get rid of the yips. Uh, so, but for us, yeah, the, typically we follow like a two week on one week off fashion for our varsity kids. So do you think it should change based on the athletes, like the group of athletes that you have their average, I guess, age, because if you have more freshmen than normal, maybe you'd want to throw them in more races to get them used to it. I, I, believe me, I've considered that. Like that, that, that is a thought of mine. I, currently, my plan is to schedule a meet for every week to have just kind of in like in the queue, and then decide who is going to be running on those meets. Or if, if so, one of those meets just kind of you know, congratulations, parents, you don't have to get up and drive to this meet. We're going to stay home and train this weekend, even though it said you know we were going to do you know uh, uh, plane dealing on the schedule or something like that. And right, so, and, well, and, then, and then the past, you know, we may have had from sep the, the first weekend in September when you can, you know, officially start to district. We might have a meet every single weekend, but, you know, it may be two varsity meets and then the next week's a JV meet where everybody else is. And, and the JV may go to one of those varsity meets, but, you know, for those listening who, who may not be quite as familiar with the schedule, um, you may have a meet every single – and there was times where, like, me and Coach Faulting would take the varsity somewhere and, and Prasant would stay – and take the JV to another meet. And um, they're still getting to train and race and, and do stuff. And um, so just because it's, you know, some of them aren't going to meet doesn't mean others. And then there's been times where, you know, we've taken like one or two runners and gone, hey, we're going to go and we're going to run this meet, just you guys, um, you know, it, and and let them go and, and take on some other runners. And I think that might be, you know, the case, especially if you have like one runner who's just way out in front of the others. Um, sometimes maybe, hey, I'm just going to go enter him in or her in unattached and, and let them run this more difficult meet. 
and the rest of us are, you know, either going to take that day off or, or we're going to, we're going to go run a, a, you know, slightly different meet. So, I mean, I've taken um, one kid to Mobile for the meet of champions. I've taken a whole team. I've taken one kid to the Texas relays during track season. I've taken, you know, five kids to the Texas relays during track season. You know, so I, mean, I think there are times where you're right. Um, and one of the cool things is we've always kind of been willing to drive, you know, if it was seven hours to get a kid in the right race, like we were never kind of opposed to that uh, if we thought that was going to benefit the kid. So, um, you know, that, that is something that we're, we're willing to look at and do. Um, yeah. I mean, I know, you know, your, your state meets always going to be a competitive meet. So the runners are, you know, of course, you're only going to get to run seven runners at that meet. Um, your regional meet typically is, you know, is, our region wasn't quite as competitive as the, the rest of the state, but still a pretty competitive race. You're still getting a, a large um, portion of runners from the state that are, are pretty quick. And you definitely have some, some good teams um, from Louisiana in, in our region. Um, you know, you have Rustin, Lafayette, some of the ones that were consistently putting out some really good performances. Of course, Airline in our district um, was putting out some really great runners. Uh, even Bird was, you know, was packing a, a good punch uh, for a while there. So I yeah, think with those, yeah, I, I think with those, two meets there you know maybe finding you know if you're running eight maybe finding one other meet that's going to be you know kind of that challenging meet and you could do it you know there's a lot of different ways you could do it like first meet and just like pop them and like all right guys like here's here's where you stand like you know on the on the grand spectrum so you know now we're going to go to some some smaller local meets and we're going to have some success and you know build up that confidence and, and get them excited and then you know they go to regionals and state and hopefully kind of realize like we got a lot of work to do for next year. Um, so, so let's get to work or, you know, you, you build up that confidence and then, you know, you pop them in the middle of the season or, or kind of later in the season. Um, you know, if, if district's one of your goals and you're hoping to, to really, you know, capitalize on that, which I know is something we generally kind of looked at and tried to do. Um, I would definitely say keeping that, that kind of um, difficult meet, a little bit further away from district just so they get some success built up before that and, and hopefully get some momentum rolling um, going into that, that championship meet for them um, before moving on the, you know, regional and state. Well, uh, well uh, our weekly uh, question for Prasant when it comes to the medical things, um, hoping the technical difficulties are good for this. So I, I have a runner who um, who broke their toe, uh, not not oh from, not from us, uh, from from playing soccer on the side. Uh, they're out uh, a minimum of two weeks from actual running, but the doctor has said that uh, he's not opposed to any non-running things. Uh, and he threw out there the bicycle, the elliptical, swimming. Um, so I, this runner is is one of our better runners. Uh, has been building a pretty good aerobic base uh, for the last 11 weeks doing the training that we're sending out in the, in the group messaging. Give me the, the model for keeping this person's uh, aerobic level up or growing um, and, you know, not do anything that's going to majorly like change running form or stuff. You know, cause I hear rumors that riding the bike a lot could, could cause an adjustment to how people run. So uh, where do I go with this kid for the next two weeks? All right. So the good thing is, is that two weeks is a time frame that the athlete for sure can't run, which means any change that you have in terms of like 
do this form of cross training, such as biking or aqua jogging or ellipticaling, you're not going to see such a major change in form over just two weeks. So you're also not going to lose a lot of fitness in two weeks either. So. That is true. But in terms of maintaining and maybe even getting a little bit more fit, because you're now restricted to non-impact or low-impact things, you can actually maybe even increase how much aerobic fitness you have them get in or how much aerobic training you have them get in over the next two weeks than you would if they were just running. So that's a plus. One thing you should keep in mind, which a lot of coaches and trainers kind of forget, is just because they're not running and they're doing cross-training, that doesn't mean that the cross-training can't injure them even more. Because say, for example, you have knee pain, so you can't run. Sometimes people will say, oh, just go elliptical for like an hour a day. Well, if that elliptical makes your knee pain worse, it doesn't matter that you're not running. So make sure that whatever cross-training you give that athlete doesn't make their toe any worse. It's, it's, you know, it's very obvious, but a lot of people don't think about that. <laughs> so, so then which, what, which route would you go in your mind? Like what, what's the most bang for your buck? And, I, and I'm sure Raybo, having experienced all these things, also has an idea of a bang for the buck as well. Yeah, I, w I was going to add a few things in terms of, you know, uh, to, to piggyback off what Prasant said. Uh, to me, fitness is fitness. Uh, I, there's, there's no substitute for, for running. I mean, if you want to be a good runner, you, you have to run. But building an aerobic base doesn't have to be strictly running. So you can get on a bike, you can get on an elliptical, you can get in a pool and aqua jog or swim, you can get on a rower. Uh, and all of these things are going to, um, you know, you're going to be building an aerobic capacity. Uh, you know, you could be doing intervals on a rower uh, where you're, you know, engaging fast twitch muscle fibers, just like you were doing on doing some strides or something of that nature, you know, building lung capacity. So those things are, are not necessarily, you know, going to go away just because you're not running. The, the one thing I would be careful with is, and I don't think two weeks is, is that big of a deal for this, um, is just you do have to understand that um, if the runner is doing these low impact cross trainings, which all of these are pretty low impact, you don't, you don't have the, the pounding of running, uh, would be to introduce them back into it a little bit easier um, just because like that, that's a good way to get like a stress fracture because one thing that like, you know, you think like your whole body is going to kind of improve at the same time, but it doesn't really work that way. Like I, I've typically found for me, like my aerobic system develops a little bit quicker than say like my muscular system. And then that develops maybe a little bit quicker than like my, my skeletal system. So, you know, I might aerobically and physically like muscle wise be able to go out and run seven miles, but it, it's actually my, my skeletal system isn't ready to handle that. And then I can, you know, get shin splints, which could potentially lead to um, a stress fracture. You know, the, the, it's the analogy you're putting a Ferrari engine in like a Geo Metro, you're just going to blow the frame apart. Um, so I would, when you introduce them back to running, I, I definitely think they're, even though that aerobically they should be good, would do some, some stuff to kind of build them back up. Um, to that impact, maybe even, you know, weightlifting is not necessarily a bad thing for that because that does, you know, improve skeletal um, density and stuff like that. So uh, maybe sticking with some softer surfaces for a while. Um, but I always went by the adage and I read it somewhere and I couldn't, I can't remember, but it was um, for cross training, 10 minutes equals a mile. Um, so if you want, you know, if you're, if you're looking at trying to do 30 miles a week, then, you know, they need to be, what, 300 <laughs> I don't teach math anymore so I'm a little slower than uh, I used to be um, so 300 minutes you know and so you know if they, if they bike for 10 minutes if they do an elliptical for 10 minutes 
it's not a, a hard fast rule you know i mean obviously again um it, it, that just kind of depends uh, on what they're doing but you, you do have that ability to, to kind of at least plan that a little bit and um you know i, I would see what they have available to them i, I know you know y'all used to have kind of that aerodyne bike that was 100 years old at the school that we would bust out for the kids we now have uh, we now three ellipticals i i do have uh, a personal road machine that i can uh, donate to the calls and we have the availability for uh swimming pools so okay um, so uh swimming's i mean a fantastic just aerobic uh that, and that's going to be the other ones that i would kind of be worried that like you might still get some pressure on the toe and so that would be something where you need to you know have them communicate with you and say hey if, if this is bothering your toe you know stop like the pool is going to be probably the greatest one for that because then you're getting that whole body workout in uh as well as aerobic and it's not going to bother the toe and even aqua jog then you're getting that same you know you want to talk about not really messing with your running form aqua jogging you know they might need the belt or i would just get in the shallow end and just kind of like run um through it without you know doing the, the whole belt thing um but you're still doing your running form it's not you know like on a bike where you you might slightly change things but i mean right two, you're not going to change a form that much and you know really fitness doesn't even start falling off until after two weeks typically uh like a major fall off so if they're doing anything at all i, I think they're going to be okay well, for the most part. and the hope is and, that the toe is the predicted time of healing is two weeks so we're, we're hoping that that is the case i was leaning right. towards swimming i just thought you know we had a couple of years ago in louisiana a kid that um on a different team that got pretty badly injured uh he had like a case of like compartment syndrome or something um and so he took up swimming for a very long time and then came back and, and ended up being like a state champion you know because his vo2 max was just still through the roof uh, from all of the swimming that when it came time for something like cross country or the 3200 um, you know he, he was prepared for that even without doing a lot of running whereas you know the mile and the 800 weren't going to be you know as, as you know much aerobic involvement so weren't going to be as successful for him so, so in regards to that uh, so in terms of training philosophies that's the idea of specificity and from what I've read people say that there's an order from like most specific to running to least specific to running that you should try to go in terms of choosing that crossfit um crossfit <laughs> cross training technique first so they say that aqua jogging is number one because you get to mimic the form the best second is ellipticaling third is i think you're making up words each time when you turn ellipticaling ellipticaling to you, elliptical you know, right different ellipticalizations or whatever and ellipticaling <laughs> you're just you pull these things out of your rear end <laughs> Y'all to just use the verb form of them. <laughs> number one, to aqua jog. Number two, to elliptical. Number three, to bike. And then number four, to swim, <laughs> is what they say. And I would figure rowing would probably be after. Um, Absolutely. Somewhere around swimming while still, like, I mean, you can get an incredible workout from rowing. But, right. you know, the argument for swimming, um, the, the current high school in American record holder for the mile was actually a competitive swimmer before he was a um, track athlete, Alan Webb. Yeah. So that's right. you know, food for thought. And here's another thing, Coach Faulting, to keep in mind. When you're having your athlete cross-train for these two weeks, you don't just have to say, hey, go out, do an hour on a bike, if they're biking. You can say, hey, do 15 minutes on the bike and then do one minute on, one minute off. You can give workouts like you would normally give for running 
just transfer it over to the bike. Right. So I that's another thing you can do. We we do a, like a hit workout that we got from uh, Great Oak High School. Uh, they they won the next in a couple of years ago. They were second in in this year. Uh, you know, if you believe in the mantra that like you know you always want your legs moving fast each day in some capacity, and so you know we always do strides or something. Well, this year we've adopted this hit workout. It's like 15 seconds of sprinting, 15 seconds of jogging for two minutes, or 20 seconds of sprinting, 10 seconds of jogging for two minutes, and it kind of builds up to like five minutes gradually throughout the year. Um, but I like the idea of doing like rowing intervals that were something similar, uh, making it a little bit longer, but you know, where you jack your heart rate up on the rower, uh, you get to relax, jack your heart rate up on the rower, relax. The 500 meter intervals in two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> to kind of replace our hit stuff and then off of the rower, look at, you know, swimming or elliptical or something, um, you know, for the regular, let's get some, some mileage on your chassis. Uh, right. I would yeah, add in. Go ahead, Prashant. Oh, I was just going to say a lot of people have the misconception that if you're cross training, you just do lots of hours and you're good and forget the intensity part of it. Yeah. Uh, I would add in. Um, I would have them do, especially if they're doing a lot of stuff in the pool, I would have them do, you know, a couple of days a week on a bike and put them outdoors um, because, you know, y'all, your, your first God, two months of races it's just ungodly hot in Louisiana. And so if the athlete starts getting away from that, because, uh, I mean, you have to adapt to heat. I mean, it's, you know, it's just something that you have to, to learn to run in. And if they spend two weeks, you know, in a pool uh, or biking in the AC or something, I think you're going to lose a little bit of that adaptation. And then that's, you know, it's just something else that you have to tie back in later. So, um, yeah, I would definitely do that. Um, I, I think Prashant's absolutely right with adding the intensity. You know, when I had the stress fracture, I was doing a lot of biking. I actually had bought a book and I think it was a runner, but he had like, um, it was like eat, not eat to run, but it, it was something of that nature. And he had some bike workouts in there and stuff as well. It may have been for like triathlon uh, specific. Um, but one of the workouts I really liked and I, I wish I still had my bike trainer. I wound up giving it or selling it to somebody where I could just hook up my, my road bike to it. But you do a 10 minute warm up, So just kind of a steady ride. And then it's um, 10 sessions of like a 10 second all out sprint on the bike as hard as you can. And then 50 seconds recovery. And you do that 10 times, so 10 minutes and then a 10 minute cool down. So in 30 minutes, you've just like, you've, you've done some, I mean, you've spent a hundred seconds at max effort um, and you've jacked your heart rate up and you've gotten a decent little workout on a bike, you know, um that that it's so much better than just like i go pedal on the bike for 30 minutes like <laughs> <laughs> amen <laughs> well i i appreciate it guys i mean the, the the two questions i've had today i think they'll give me a lot to think about uh you know i mean I, the number one thing for me right now is i'm just excited we're back to to training i get to see my team uh even even an injured kid is still better than no kid uh, you know, we've got some pretty passionate kids right now. And so uh, I appreciate every week y'all give me some, some some guidance that I used to get when we used to just go to breakfast after practice or something, uh, you know, but, uh, but, uh, but I appreciate it. And, uh, and I got a lot. I, I do miss people. another broken egg. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> or those steak tips. Oh, man. Oh, Merle's. Merle's yeah. is gone. It's a taco shop now. Oh, what? Man. Well, their service was 
somewhat lacking. Um, <laughs> that's not not super surprising to me. But yeah, those steak tips and eggs were, were not mm-hmm. terrible. This podcast is not sponsored by Merle's. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it's not a Merle's. So, uh. <laughs> well, all right, gang. Well, I don't think we, uh, we have anything else on the agenda for today, although we do have an exciting announcement for all of our listeners. Um, as of right now, you can go online to either uh, to three different locations and find this podcast other than our website. The, uh, the first is our hosting platform, Anchor.fm, uh, which I believe is owned by Spotify, which is where we, uh, we are hosting our podcast. You can also find our podcast on Spotify now, and you can follow it on there so that you never miss an episode. And we are also in iTunes, so we are about as official as it gets. Woo, buddy. Saying official like a referee with a whistle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and we'll we'll be sure we make some posts about that on social media. I think Balting already, uh, he's sent out about Spotify and uh, iTunes messaged me back today. I guess they had to check it out and make sure we weren't talking about um, inappropriate things or, or whatever on, to, to upload our podcast. So I guess track and field um, is okay. It's not the raunchiest of things. Susie Faber Hamilton today, so we're gonna get kicked uh, in the Well, I didn't. I didn't like use her. You know, I didn't. I kept it G-rated. I call her Susie. Susie Faber Hamilton. <laughs> no details, please. Yeah. <laughs> no. So we we brushed out under the rug. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank everybody for tuning in. We will uh, be here same time next week. Uh, actually, the week after that, we may have a, a, a special surprise. I should be uh, doing a little bit of traveling and passing through uh, Shreveport Bossier about that time. So we may have like a, a fully live episode of at least two of us in the same room and potentially, uh, you know, depending on person schedule, all three of us in a, a room together doing this. So no chance of anyone's internet dropping out, I, I would hope. Uh, <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> Whoops. There will never there'll be no dog. We won't have a guest star on here. But that's, that's true. Although I with my new headset and microphone, I don't think we've we've heard them very much. I have not heard the dog today since we started. Smart smart, smart call on my part there. So <laughs> well, all right, gang. I hope you guys uh have a good week and uh all you listeners, thank you for tuning in and uh, be sure to follow us on one of the uh, sites spotify or itunes or on anchor uh, i believe on anchor we have some cool intro and outro music that um, may not play on the others just because of licensing um so check it out there if you want to hear some uh, foo fighters and then whatever random song i choose at the end of the podcast every time <laughs> um, otherwise uh we will catch you guys next week thanks for listening